0: Welcome to Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of those who turn their face away from the garish light of day. I'm Hannah Leach. And I'm
1: Audrey Leach. We are the sister
0: filmmaking duo,
1: also known as Two Pink Pictures, and we have not stopped thinking about these movies since we
0: first saw them. We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are? Today,
1: we are kicking off our musical mini-season by talking about 2004's The Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Something you may recall the <laughs> strange affair. The Phantom of the Opera. Gentlemen. episode we were like so, when we do our long awaited phantom episode someday and then we were like let's it's do now. it next <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: happening now and I have to say guys like the ne- the rest of the season three, it will be filled with a lot of vocals, and it's going to be either really fun for you or really not,
0: <laughs> yes. really horrible. You might have to find a new podcast <laughs> if like, you don't like that. But
1: like, I'm gonna uh, put in my effort. That's the thing. You can expect you can expect some some effort to be put into the vocals that we do bring. So we'll see. <laughs>
0: We have such a storied history with this movie, and I have just derived so much joy from this movie and also talking about it with other people. Um, I did a whole like audio essay with a bunch of different sources for my other podcast called Wholehearted, um, where I talk to people about the influence of Phantom of the Opera on their developing childhood brains. And I will link to that in the description because if you like this episode, you'll definitely like that too. Um, but I just, this movie is the gift that keeps on giving for <laughs> me personally. And I right. cannot wait to talk about it. Uh, are you ready to get into the facts, Audrey? Yes. Okay, so The Phantom of the Opera was released on December 22nd, 2004 in the U.S., wide release in theaters. So the movie was based on the now running for over 25 years uh, Phantom of the Opera Broadway musical, but the Broadway musical was based upon the 1910 novel Le Phantom de l'Opera by Gaston Leroux. It was a French novel. It was very popular at the time. The chain of IP for this went novel, weird silent film uh, with Lon Chaney in it. And that one was really famous. Then the Broadway musical, then <laughs> Phantom of the Opera. And I have to say, I read this novel uh, in middle school and I remember so vividly reading it in the doctor's office while Audrey was getting allergy tested in another room. And she was like wailing existentially <laughs> in the next room over. And I was just like, I am a weird seventh grader reading my novel.
1: Yeah, for some reason, just side note, for some reason they decided to give a child a one by one, like one prick by one prick at a time allergy test instead of doing the stamps like they normally do. And
0: how dumb can you be? Like,
1: that was so stupid. I didn't stupid. realize that
0: that's what it was. I thought it was the tray with all the pricks on it.
1: It was, but they were doing it one at a time instead of the stamps. Like, they'll you normally, like, they'll oh. have a stamp of, like... 30 of them and they'll just like do it all at once but they were going one by mm-hmm. one and that's why I was having it? such a hard time yes I remember it oh gosh
0: that sounds miserable yeah um anyway so that evocative and painful middle school memory for both of us. Uh, just keep that in the <laughs> stew as we talk about this movie because that kind of shit is very tied to this movie in my brain. Um, this movie was directed by Joel Schumacher, who turned out that he died in July 2020, which I didn't realize. But he is best known slash infamous for directing the 90s uh, Batman and Robin and Batman Forever movies. Um, people love to shit on them because they're like super campy and weird. He actually started as a costume designer, I discovered in my research. Uh, And he also directed St. Elmo's Fire, which is a movie that uh, you may or may not know it from the Bowling for Soup hit 1985. (laughs) That's how I know what it is, to be totally honest. Uh, The movie was produced by none other than Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber. Uh, described on Wikipedia as arguably the most successful composer of our time. The shows that he is like best known for are Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, Jesus Christ Superstar, Evita, Cats, Phantom, obviously, Sunset Boulevard, Love Never Dies, which is the sequel to Phantom of the Opera, School of Rock, SMH, we're not talking about that. Uh, and currently, okay, so I saw on his thing that he was working on a 2021 Cinderella and I was like, don't tell me this man got caught up in that Amazon thing. But I clicked on it and that's actually not what it is. He is doing original music for a stage adaptation of Cinderella, I guess, that they're like opening in the West End, but they keep like launching it and then taking it off because of COVID. Um, in, And then also just like for flavor Andrew Lloyd Webber is, like, very polarizing because he doesn't, this is my understanding, he doesn't actually, like, arrange his songs. He, like, comes up with the melodies in his mind and then, like, goes to an arranger and then they arrange them. And he also doesn't write lyrics. But I do think that he comes up with, like, the big concepts. And honestly, the ideas are what uh, really (laughs) propel a lot of this. He doesn't write lyrics? No. No. (laughs) <laughs> what <laughs> okay yeah no that's why some people are like this man is sketchy okay there might be like a few instances of him writing lyrics but like mostly he doesn't
1: so who writes them
0: it's he works with different people all the time like oh. i know tim rice did right, Joseph, I, I and i'm I know pretty sure tim one. rice did jesus christ superstar mm-hmm. um But obviously, School of Rock wasn't him. Like, I think... No.
1: When I saw that show... When I saw that show... Well, first of all, why just... No, we're not talking... We're not getting into it. But when I... The lyrics are not good. They're not good. (laughs) Yeah. No. They're they're very basic. A la Heather's the Musical. We'll go buy some summer clothes. (laughs)
0: I was just about to say yeah that uh, is truly one of the worst lines. What is the context of that? It's and you're right. That really blows. <laughs> oh my god, right even better, even better than nose. <laughs> Honestly, they sold it, though. That cast was amazing because, fun fact, Audrey and I saw the original cast of Heather's on 420 in 2014 on Easter. It's true. 420, Easter, 2014.
1: What could be more potent than that? Literally just perfect.
0: Um, okay, so the screenplay for Phantom of the Opera was written by Andrew Lloyd Webber and Joel Schumacher, and it shows because basically there is no screenplay. It's just the songs because it's like an operetta style, like Lame Is, basically. Not to bring up Lame Is. <laughs> 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 I can't wait to do an episode on that one, too. Okay, Whew, this plot synopsis. Audrey, just take us through these next two thingies here. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so the plot synopsis is a young soprano becomes the obsession of a disfigured and murderous musical genius who lives beneath the Paris Opera House. Uh, That's pretty good. I'll take that. I think that's good. Um, Very simplified, but to the point. And then (laughs) taglines. This is interesting to me because it's kind of (laughs) like... how are you going to market it to a general audience? Um, Obviously, tons of people already are aware of it, but still. So the first one is, her voice became his passion. Her love became his obsession. Her refusal became his rage. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The second one is, listen to the music of the night. (laughs) third one is the world's biggest musical that's just a fact the fourth one is the waiting is over dot 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 let the fantasy begin and the last Ooh. one is the classic musical comes to the big screen for the first time also just a marketing fact they could have said let the dream unwind is that let, let the, the dream begin. Let the... Well, they did. Let they said, the dream begin. But they he does say unwind at some point. Let
0: your fantasies unwind. Yeah, let
1: your fantasies unwind. Uh, that's good. It's pretty good. Like they put let the fantasy begin, but it's like combining two lines. Yeah. Anyway,
0: (laughs) how dare they take creative license? Um, We're also going to come back to the fact of the classical musical, not classical, the classic musical comes to the big screen for the first time. No, no, no. We're going to come back to the waiting is over because there was a very, very long period of what we call development hell, pre-production hell on this movie, like an unbelievably long period. And I, um, I really did my research for this one. So I will have things to say about that. But before we get to that, let's talk about this cast, this bold, bold cast. Okay. So first of all, we have Gerard Butler as the Phantom a controversial casting choice to this very day. He is best known now for being the Phantom, for being 300, not being 300, but being the guy in 300, uh, the bounty hunter, law-abiding citizen. Um, But leading up to Phantom, because I was like, why did they pick him? Like, I don't understand why they picked him. He like, wasn't even that famous. But the stuff he had been in, he had been in Lara Croft, Tomb Raider, Lucy Sullivan is getting married, Shooters, the jury, Like, like he had a career, but like, it wasn't anything particularly huge. Um but then today this morning I watched the behind the scenes documentary of the making of the movie and uh the director was talking about how they wanted like a relative unknown for it because they didn't want the audience to be like oh that's Antonio Banderas or like whoever because he was originally up for the part. Um so they picked Gerard and also just a general note about this movie that uh, really just runs through the whole thing is that Andrew Lloyd Webber called all the shots because he was the executive producer and he has a shitload of money Um, and he basically chose the director over 10 years in advance based off of nothing over or based off of nothing except for one movie he had seen him direct and then this man just had like a ton of power in the whole thing Joel did but we'll come back to that because I have more information on it but it's very much like let men with their money sit in the sandbox and do whatever they want. And like, this is kind of what you get. Not to say that this is the worst movie ever, but we'll get into that. Okay. Next up, we have Emmy Rossum as Christine, who is definitely best known now as having played Fiona in Shameless for like a million episodes. And the year she turned 18, the two movies that she's like best known for, Phantom and The Day After Tomorrow came out. So she was a child actor, pretty clearly um but leading up to fandom of the opera she sang in like the new york metropolitan opera she was like always a theater kid oh she was in this movie called mystic river but she was like relatively undiscovered but and we also just can't forget she had this album that came out around fandom of the opera <laughs> that was like very like imogen heap inspired yeah. like primarily vocals like
1: oh you my just God, gotta I'll look up the
0: music video for slow me down <laughs>
1: I literally just had like a flashback running and
0: racing and yes. I'm forgetting my purpose forgetting my purpose <laughs> I wish I could sing with you in person but yeah. when we were if we record an episode in person on vacation it's gonna be over oh yeah it's gonna be over yeah um so she was also 16 for the filming of this movie which at the time I was like jealous when I first watched it but, but now, now but now looking back at it I'm like both of the leads were, like, in their mid-30s. It's like,
1: oh, dodged a bullet, actually. I, was I in the running for the part? No, but
0: I dodged a bullet. <laughs> that was on purpose. I that was, actually, was the good Lord looking out for me. I was actually six or seven, but... <laughs> like, that's a piece of information we haven't disclosed on the podcast. We don't want to alienate the non-actors, <laughs> but we were actually, um both of us, at age, what? Six if, and eight, you know? Nine? Seven. They said youthful. (laughs) I mean, okay. Next up we have, so I only included five people in this list because there's just so much to say with this episode. Um, But next up we have Patrick Wilson as Raul, truly my favorite man. Favorite man to exist. Period. Period favorite man to exist. He's so hot. I love him so much. Um, he is known for being in Phantom, but also he is in Hard Candy starring opposite of Elliot Page. And he also is in Insidious and The Conjuring. He's like very involved in like the Blumhouse horror movies. And he also played That's a big true. part in the Angels in America HBO uh, series that I always talk about. And he was also in The Watchmen. And really endearingly, when I was looking things up about him today, there's like a subcategory on his Wikipedia that says Scream King persona. (laughs) So it's like talking about how he is like super into being in horror movies now. And just like Scream King is just such a compelling way to describe it. Like, yes, (laughs) Yes. he is that. But he actually didn't uh, do any film or TV until kind of until... Probably, like, around 2000, he was primarily a Broadway touring slash theater guy beforehand, which you can obviously tell in this movie. Um, and last but not least, he sang in it. Julie Andrews' Kennedy Center Honors Ceremony. And I just want to know how that makes Audrey feel. I didn't that. That, know that. happened. Oh, my God. Yes, he did. <laughs> he was there. Uh. He sang a song for her. Um, oh, and... I cannot move on from this segment without talking about the infamous girls episode, One Man's Trash, where Lena Dunham stole what my calling is in life, (laughs) which is to write an episode of a show about myself where I get stuck in a house not stuck in a house. Basically she writes this whole like standalone episode of girls where she like just so happens to have this fling with this hot man and it's Patrick Wilson and he's like a rich doctor and he's just like the the thing we always talk about on the show about like men who intentionally curate bodies of work where they are like supporting a woman and the woman doesn't have to be like the most perfect person in the world or like super hot or anything. Like he just consistently does that. Yeah. And I love him. <laughs> And let it be known that back in the day when we watched this movie, I always thought the Phantom was the hottest, and I didn't even talk about that. I fucking loved Gerard Butler in yeah. this movie when I was younger. Like he was like my first celebrity crush, really, and like one of my only That's ones. Crazy. I was obsessed with him. I know. Um, but Audrey was always Team Raoul because she has taste. <laughs> it's, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. So I have to give her her credit for that. Next up, we have Miranda Richardson as as Madame Giri. She's best known for The Crying Game, The Hours, Spider, Sleepy Hollow, the like Tim Burton one. And she's Rita Skeeter in Harry Potter. Of course, I have to mention that just because it's so relevant to us. Um, But she's one of those actors that's done like a ton of shit. She also was the Queen of Hearts in the Tina Majorino, Alice in Wonderland that we watched as kids. And also Miranda Richardson is the evil queen in the weird straight to VHS Snow White that we got from Sam's Club, uh, which is yet another forbidden sleepover cinema episode because I don't know if anyone has seen it, but we watched a lot uh, and I would love to talk about it. Okay, last but not least, we have Minnie Driver as Carlotta, who's like the grand diva. Um, she's known for Circle of Friends, The Riches, Goodwill Hunting, Speechless, Will and Grace, Ella Enchanted, and she's the voice of Jane and Tarzan. And even though she is a singer, the singing that you hear Carlotta doing in this movie is not Minnie Driver because she cannot do opera, Um, but she is the singing voice of the credits song, yeah. so she does sing, kind of. And I respect her. Oh. I do, I really respect
1: that she was like, no, let's get a real, real opera singer, you know, and, and like, yeah, make sure it sounds right. I respect that so much. I would so much prefer that. Pull a mini driver, pull a Christopher Plummer than yes.
0: get what we got with Gerard Butler. It is okay, but they... Bad. Okay, I personally will defend it because I think if you have nothing to compare it to, it's fine.
1: Right, but literally 96% of the audience does have, I think, I think like a lot of the audience did have something to compare it to. Anyway, we'll talk about this later. Well, yeah,
0: we'll, we're will we going to come back to that. Um, <laughs> but the last little casting thing I wanted to share is that, okay, in that part where they show the image of Christine's father for one second, I was always like, he looks so familiar, but I can't place why. It turns out that that is a photo of Ramin Karimloo, who later played the Phantom and Raoul in the West End. And he, uh, if he, he's hot, he's a great singer. They could have had him as the Phantom and he would have been an unknown. I don't really get why they didn't, Just pick him. If he was in the cards, why not just go with him?
1: Well, yeah, I I don't know. It is weird. It is weird. Because I thought, I was thinking, well, maybe they ended up picking Gerard because they wanted a Hollywood appeal. But he wasn't that famous yet. Yeah, so it it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Also, his accent comes through, like, the entire movie. And it's like, the Phantom is not Scottish or
0: whatever he is. I think he's Scottish.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know... (laughs) Like, it wasn't a good call, guys. But we could have had a... We could have had a Ramin dub, and they didn't even do that. So...
0: Yeah. There was actually a lot of really interesting stuff, too, when I was watching the documentary today. Like... Basically, they would, like, they didn't just go in and, like, record the album in a week. Like, they recorded the album, and then if, like, they did takes that ended up being different, they would go back in and re-record to match it. Mm -hmm. But it was, like, constant. Like, I guess that Gerard was, like, going back in, like, all the time. You
1: can tell. You can literally tell he was by watching the movie. Like, I, knowing, knowing how these things work now and watching the
0: movie, I'm, like, Oh, this this shit is pieced together. <laughs> it is <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, let's get into these numbers here. Audrey, would you care right. to take us there?
1: Yeah, so it's interesting as Hannah was saying, Andrew Lloyd Webber said, "You know what? I'm not going to give the rights from the show to um, a big studio, I'm going to instead finance this myself, which makes it an independent film, which is really funny. Um, It is.
0: Can I say something really fast? Yeah. Yeah. So basically just to clarify this a little bit, Warner Brothers bought the rights in 1989, but Andrew Lloyd Webber was committed to sticking with it as the main producer, even though Warner was involved. And then they were going to have Sarah Brightman and Michael Crawford, the original stars, be in it. But then Sarah Brightman and Andrew Lloyd Webber, who were married, got separated. And so they did not return to the project until December 2002. But Andrew Lloyd Webber did not update his director choice. He kept it exactly the same as he had picked 10 years ago based off of basically nothing. So just keep that in mind.
1: So the budget was eighty million dollars, hard-earned cash by Mr. <laughs> A.L.W. And so yeah, the, at the time it was the most expensive independent film ever made. Box office opening weekend was <laughs> 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 box office opening weekend was Is that correct? <laughs> Anyway, yes, yes. um the overall worldwide gross is 154,648,887. So, yeah, I mean ultimately they know that like Phantom of the Opera is a huge global phenomenon. It will make its money back, but the fact that it had a 4 million dollar opening weekend is really funny. <laughs> I'm yeah, so sorry. <laughs> and then Critically, um, it got a 33%. (laughs) Yikes. Um, The critic consensus is the music of the night has hit something of a sour note. Critics are calling the screen adaptation of Andrew Lloyd Webber's popular musical histrionic, boring, and lacking in both romance and danger. Still, some have praised the film for its sheer spectacle. Mm, Yeah, (laughs) that's the vibe, honestly. So here's some more critic reviews. Um, Someone says, deserves to be locked up in a dank water filled dungeon and left to molder. Another critic says, committing one unforced error after another on its way to becoming one of the sloppiest major musicals of contemporary times. (laughs) And thirdly, visually impressive at times to the point of mesmerizing and emotionally stimulating, the film touches the heart and soul and once again reaffirms (laughs) Hollywood's and the
0: public's love of the movie musical. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but the the most interesting information is yet to come, which All please right. you should read this. So the audience score is
1: 84%. So that's a huge disparity. Biggest we've ever seen in this yes. entire show. Um, we're talking 50% differences. Like that's <laughs> that's nuts. Um, yeah. And the reviews from the audience are essentially, this is amazing or this is total shit. I hate musicals or Gerard Butler is really bad. And why did they cast him? <laughs> and yeah, I concur
0: with all three <laughs> statements. (laughs) yes um so for the gossip section like this movie is so divorced from any greater cultural context of the time other than this one thing um which is that it's been suggested by like media critics and also I feel like we're inevitably gonna end up talking about a lot of Lindsay Ellis's points from her video about the adaptation of this movie. Um, it's been suggested that this movie was looking to compete with Chicago, which ultimately won best picture. Um, so like the lost. kind of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like the sexy elements and the, like the darkness. I mean, obviously Phantom of the Opera is like extremely dark. Um, But like the sexification of it all, I feel like was very Chicago-y. And, um, what else do I have here? Oh, okay. So I kind of just have some notes that I thought were interesting from the behind-the-scenes documentary that came on the DVD of this movie. Okay, first of all, even though people hate on Gerard Butler so much in this movie, he's so funny in everything about it because he is just so aware that he's bad. Like, he's so he's not trying to pull it off. Like, whenever he talks about it, he's like... Yeah, I don't really know how I got here, but I worked really hard and like I really related to him and I blah 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 and and this is this is what I did and so I just find him to be really likable despite the fact that he was kind of bad cuz he's very humble about it. Um Andrew Lloyd Webber run like Andrew Lloyd Webber loves him for some reason. Joel Schumacher described him as cutting a nice figure on screen, which I didn't know what that meant. But I had just sort of a strange vibe about Joel Schumacher, so I Googled him, and I found this piece of information about him. Schumacher described himself as extremely promiscuous, saying in a 2019 interview that he had become, quote-unquote, sexually active at age 11, which does not sound like a thing you can do, and estimated that he had sex with between 10,000 and 20,000 men over the course of his life. (laughs) which like can't does it it, (laughs) no comment needed that is what is on the internet and then uh also they were talking about casting such a young Christine in this movie and Joel was like and this kind of made me think that he was gay like how he was describing this it was like very like white gay man to be talking like this way he was like Christine is just so innocent, like like her being a super youthful actress would like assist in that innocence. And then he described Emmy Rossum as being an exquisite 16-year-old. Um, and I personally have a theory, this is deep down, I have no evidence for this, even though I do have like a weird amount of like, Cool, Like, not that many degrees of separation away from Phantom of the Opera, the Broadway thing. Like, the way that they pick their Christines historically has always felt a little bit predatory to me. Like, just who they get, how young they are, who's in charge, who produces it. Like, I don't know. It just gives me weird vibes. But that was the thing that I saw. We are talking about Daddy Issues the musical. Literally, it's Daddy Issues musical. And... Speaking of daddy issues, the musical basically in the same breath as him describing her as an exquisite 16 year old and that her youth would assist it. He was like, yeah, I think that her relationship with the Phantom is like very sexual and soulful and it's like her sexual awakening. And I'm like, ew, she doesn't need to be 16
1: that's like what he wanted though director did like directorially you can tell that oh, that's yeah. the direction he's giving her and it makes for a really like uncomfortable viewing experience <laughs>
0: Yes. Or it's like if you're not buying into it like 100 million thousand percent, it's like very creepy. And how could she? Okay. This was really haunting me. How could Raul have been her childhood friend if he's like 30 and she's 16? Yeah.
1: It's like, oh, so he was so holding he was her. He was holding her as a baby, basically. <laughs>
0: Like, ugh, I just hate that. Um, And then the last thing that I thought was really funny was Minnie Driver talking about how she'd always wanted to do a musical, and then she did this, and she didn't get to sing. And uh, she was talking about how the director was encouraging her to, like, play it up. And I guess he said, no one ever paid to see Under the Top (laughs) versus Over the Top. And uh, she's like, yeah, I learned to love camp. (laughs) Where do we even begin with talking about our childhood and this movie? Well, I don't actually
1: know where, like, why did you start listening to it? Or, like, what happened? Like, I don't even know.
0: Yeah. So, what happened was that I I was, like, always into theater and stuff. Like, Audrey and I were both into, like, wicked and shit. I don't know. We were like kids in like 2003. Um, But in my sixth grade choir class at Roberts Middle School, the fucking worst place on earth, um, my choir teacher showed us Phantom of the Opera one day in class. And we only watched like the first 45 minutes. But like you get through music of the night in the first 45 minutes. So like, you know what you're in for basically. Um, And I remember watching the first chunk and then I was like, oh, I'm obsessed with this and I need to see the rest of it like now. But this bitch was like a legend because she also showed us Lacrimosa by Evanescence, which is like the Evanescence Mozart reference song. Um, Her name was Ms. Stewart and I hope that she's thriving and I wish that I could find her because she did a good job uh, being a music teacher. I also learned song structure from her. Um, But yeah, best teacher at Roberts probably. I hated that place. But um, I got super duper duper obsessed with it. It was very horny in all the ways that you want when you don't know what you want when you're like a <laughs> child, you know. <laughs> Audrey's cringing. That's just how it is. It's a um, weird territory, but yeah. What are your What are your associations with it?
1: Well, yeah. So this was just another thing that was like passed to me through Hannah, and then. um, we saw a production of it in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> we did. I remember that. And that was like once we were already into it. So we like our parents got tickets for us to see it because they knew we would enjoy it. Like we were into it. And yes.
0: um, and they aren't at all. So it's very funny. Yeah. Our parents um, like don't like musicals. And somehow this is how things work. Yeah. Out. It's pretty, pretty sad. For Even them, though I feel honestly. like dad secretly does. I mean, they like them enough to
1: buy us tickets to go see them. So, like, it's fine. Yeah. Um, they definitely appreciate it, but it's just not, like, they're not into it. Um, like, it's not a personal interest, basically. Right. Um, but, yeah, so, and, like, and when, you know, last episode we were talking about, like, making videos with our cousins and stuff. Like, I know there was just, there was just <laughs> some questionable like I don't even know what to call it because I'm not sure what we were doing but all I know is I was playing Christine and you were playing Meg and there's this like tiny clip of us doing it and then we like accidentally taped over the rest so like to this day I don't know what we were like doing
0: honestly I'm so grateful that got recorded over yeah me too no, we were singing, we were singing, like, the part when it's Meg and Christine, and she's like, where in the world have you been hiding? Like, that part. No.
1: And it's <laughs> also funny because you definitely wanted to be Christine, but
0: we decided to cast based off of hair colors. So. No, there was another reason why, too. Oh, Why? The other reason is that in that long shot where they're walking down the hallway, Meg <laughs> sings the lower harmony.
1: Oh. Yeah. Like we so were really why. singing it properly. Like,
0: <laughs> B- bitch, we probably were. We were oh on my it. Oh, God. Um, yeah. I wanted to be Christine so bad in life, but I've never been able to sing like that. So it just was sad. Wait, also something else occurred to me. Oh, we did have this in the van. This was mm-hmm. one of our movies we had in the car. Um, And there was something else about it. Oh, oh my God. Okay. My friend Chris, who comes up fucking constantly <laughs> on this show. He Hi, and I... Became friends in middle school because he had a Phantom of the Opera baseball hat. And I was like, same. <laughs> you were like, let's then, go
1: out. Let's date.
0: I want <laughs> to be your girlfriend. Like, let's pursue a heterosexual relationship. <laughs> um and you know what? All First these and you know what? He's gonna continue to come up because I have memories with him, with Hairspray, with Sweeney Todd, with basically every musical that existed then. Um so Chris you will continue to be invoked. I really just can't help it. It's just, you're there. (laughs) Um, Okay. There's so much more we could say, but there's so much to say about the movie itself. So we are going to take our break now. Um, Phantom of the Opera is on HBO Max. If you have that subscription, go check it out there. It's two and a half hours, but it's a fast two and a half hours if you know how to enjoy it. So please light some candles maybe maybe get some red candlesticks and let them drip dramatically into like a candelabra yeah um get out your ruffliest shirt get and
1: your, your black wax leather seal. gloves
0: get out your wax seal get out your tiny handmade figurines of your friends and family <laughs> that you can ex- exchange the heads of and get ready for the second half <laughs>
1: Thanks so much for checking it out.
0: Okay, we are back, and I cannot even anticipate how much shit we're about to say about Phantom of the Opera because I feel like we could probably do like four episodes on this if we wanted to um so let's start with the good things and I will invite Audrey to start us
1: (laughs) okay well I mean do you want to do you want to Like, I have all these categories of other things.
0: What are your categories? Well, like,
1: favorite song, least favorite song, favorite line to sing. Oh, I think that we should
0: do those near the end.
1: Okay, Okay. so I actually, sadly, I don't have that many things in appreciate because (laughs) I think I had to, I was trying to set aside nostalgia and just really look at it. You know, like, really look at it with fresh eyes. And Uh um, Patrick Wilson. Yeah, we know. Um, Patrick Wilson's wig. (laughs) Yeah, we know. Um, I think that um, it's hilarious that they added a man voguing in Masquerade. (laughs) And I don't know why. Like, it's very... Out of its time. I don't know why it's there, but I, I. Well, I did see,
0: I did see who the choreographer was in the documentary today, and when you see the choreographer, it does make a bit more right. sense. Right,
1: but like I'm talking about, like for, as a director, like that choice is crazy. <laughs> um, it's true. The honestly, most of the things in my appreciate column are just funny. When when <laughs> the Phantom like, pounces on Piangi <laughs> point of no return, like, before he enters, because he, like, kills the guy or whatever, or, yeah, he, like, kills the guy, so he can replace him on stage or whatever. Um, but the sound, there's like a, there's like a, almost like a tiger roar sound effect. <laughs> that, what? Yeah. I did not it, notice It's that. subtle, but it's there um tasteful yeah mean. and just like like meg is hot that's it <laughs> yes um yes that yeah i mean it's mostly just that everybody in it is really beautiful and uh-huh. um other than that it's not serving me a whole lot <laughs>
0: Yes. Sorry, I just realized I was recording video for that past minute on slow motion. Oh. Which is why the frame rate looked insane. Oh. But now I understand. It's fine. My good things. I was grateful that this was not sung live because it would have been absolute shit. Yeah. Yeah. But speaking of live song musicals, apparently Hugh Jackman was also confirmed for Phantom at one point. So, I mean, I'm glad that we dodged
1: no, that. No, I mean that would have been better. That would have been better than Gerard um because it wasn't I recorded don't like live. His voice. But at, but at least like cuz Hannah, you know, like seriously, listening to Gerard's vocals this time around i was like i actually can't believe that this is what it is <laughs> like he doesn't blend with anyone he has no vibrato there are so many vocal cheats going on in in the edit like if if you can't hire someone who can sing the last note of music of the night lo- like as long as it should be oh. then why are like why do it like if andrew lloyd you know if andrew lloyd webber is so Um, particular about how he wants the integrity of the show to be translated into film, then why is he allowing this
0: amateur to
1: be the phantom? Like, it just seems weird to me.
0: Okay, other things that I wrote under good... I really love Miranda Richardson's performance and Patrick Wilson's obviously I still stand by the fact that if you have nothing to compare it to Gerard is totally fine Uh, I know that's kind of controversial I love Christine's single tendril she has a single tendril that does a lot of work in this movie because it's like clearly real hair and then like a length piece kind of in there which I also think her hair looks beautiful they really take advantage of her curls in this movie you look like you're thinking
1: something. <laughs> I'm like, I think... Do you think they're fake? I think they look kind of crazy sometimes. Like, in um, uh, Wishing You Were Somehow Here Again, I think they look kind of bad. But, like, there's just moments where I think it's not completely working. But most of the time, yes. And I like that you can't see your hair. Like, there's no... Um, like, lace front line. Yeah, I, I like that.
0: Yeah. There... I also wrote down, I love this movie halfway through the list. Um, The amount of, the cleavage is working overtime across the board in this whole movie. Yeah. There are, there's so much boobs and, you know, it's like Pirates of the Caribbean, kind of. It's like a similar thing. Um... I thought it was really funny when in the scene they added for the movie when they're doing the sword fight when Phantom gets knocked to the ground and you can see his exposed fancy vest. Yeah. It has like a floral fabric. And also I'm like, "Wait, so the fact that they threw that in there and then Raul didn't kill him then, I was like, "Uh, I don't know if I really buy that, but like okay." Yeah. Um also the part during point of no return, when Patrick thinks that she low key chose the Phantom, and he looks so demoralized, he—the end of this movie is his moment. Yeah. Honestly, um, love that, and I also appreciated that there aren't many things in this movie where. Actions or cuts line up with the music or the timing at all. But when the Phantom smashes the mirrors at the end, they actually are in time with the swells of the music. And I kind of feel like it's a coincidence, but I'm grateful that it happened anyway. What do you want to talk about next?
1: So I don't even know where to begin because my notes are literally (laughs) (laughs) crazy. But um, I'm just going to like go through them and see what what happens. <laughs> um, so Sounds good. So watching it when I was younger, I always wanted to skip the flashbacks and the black and white parts because they're boring as hell. And personally, I don't think they add anything. <laughs> I, I I get why it's there in the beginning because the show also starts that way. A future
0: timeline from the main plot. Yeah, yeah.
1: And I also understand how they came up with the idea to flesh out that time period in the movie because, um, you know, otherwise you're seeing it this one time and that's it. And, um, Right. They also make some new points and connections between, um, the monkey, the little monkey toy and, um, whatever basically Raul buys the monkey toy at an auction and then he goes to Christine's grave and puts it there with a red rose or there's already a red rose there right
0: yeah Yeah. but you get that right
1: yeah I get it (laughs) but it's like why is like I didn't need to know she died like in the context of (laughs) the movie wait
0: wait wait I need to know that you get why the rose is there
1: what do you mean? Do you get why it's there? Yeah. Like the phantom put it there? Why is it there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: what else would it be? <laughs> okay, but you were acting so newt about it. I was like, does she know why it's there? Yeah, I was also confused about why he would bring that box to her grave. Yeah.
1: <laughs> like, okay. Um, interesting. And it's like a framing device that is used in the musical in a way that makes sense like i th- i think yes. that works and it's great it's a great theatrical moment because you see the chandelier rise as you go back in time um doesn't necessarily have the same uh effect in the movie it's still grand but it's just like we don't need this and so it stays so close in adaptation um that I think it kind of forgets that it's a movie a lot of the time. It's like, Mm -hmm. but the changes that they do make are weird. Like having the characters talk lines that should be sung, like speak lines that should be sung, and they have the score behind them as they're speaking the lines. So you can literally (laughs) hear how it should be, but they're just not doing it, uh, which is... Kind of strange. Um, I I was saying to Hannah, like, how, how we were talking about It's Daddy Issues, the musical. Like, just thinking about the fact that Christine believes that the Phantom, or it's not even the Phantom yet. It's just this voice. Her, like, voice teacher is... Um, like, the spirit of her father, like, the angel of music that has, like, come to comfort her or whatever. And then she's, like, conflating. Once she knows, once she meets the phantom, she's, like, conflating her father's memory and the angel of music and this actual man into, (laughs) into one thing, basically. And... um that really comes to a head in wishing you are somehow here again where this he is literally on the mausoleum he's on it he's having the doors open it's the creepiest thing ever like it it actually yeah. is and she's just like here for it um she's like obsessed yeah. and kind of possessed so it it adds up but it's like what <laughs> it's like <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah, Gerard fumbled the bag with Music of the Night, I, I gotta say, <laughs> and ev- and every song, and it is true that when you have nothing to compare it to, <laughs> um, you don't really notice, so, like, we didn't see a stage performance first, we saw this first, so...
0: Yes, and I will interject to say that when I saw the stage musical, I was, like, so taken aback, because The Phantom is, like, not hot at all no. in the stage version, And he's way scarier and he's, like, way, like, freakier in general. And I was like, oh, this is, like, not the sexy fun time that I was anticipating because the movie is a sexy fun time. And, yeah, totally. Like, it made me not like the musical and then – or, like, not like the stage version. But then I – in time, it all made sense.
1: Right. So, um, the – I have a real issue with the way (laughs) that this movie was shot it looks like basic coverage for a documentary. Like (laughs) it looks, there is no perspective. There's no style. There's no, it's dry. It's very, very, very dry. And um, it's just that the possibilities and the opportunities are so great. Like there's just so many things you could do that it makes me sad that, They chose to instead basically record the Broadway show with a set in a a very um, sort of objective way. Like if you were an audience member, like if you were just a person, if you were just a person standing there in the room with them, that's basically (laughs) how they shot it. And to me, it's just a huge lost opportunity for some really cool shots that they just didn't do yeah i also think the editing job is poor (laughs) in this movie (laughs) because again like musicality is a huge a huge thing with musicals and if your editor doesn't have that skill a musical bone in their body yeah then like and maybe they do i don't know maybe it was the director who knows but um I, You know, it ruins the flow of things and, like, yeah. what, what you're seeing, for how long you're seeing it, and when the cuts are really matter. And I think that there is some blatant disregard for that in a lot of these songs. And... W- Another thing about the edit, and I'm sure this has to do with vocals. I'm positive it does. There are moments where you are hearing a very, very grand Mm -hmm. note or a really important vocal moment. And you're not seeing anyone's face. They're (laughs) hidden. Yeah, it's just sad to not see people's faces when crucial vocal moments are being had. Yes. And um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. That's pretty okay. much
0: my my soapbox. All right, all right. Mine. Here are my qualms. <laughs> okay. I know we're, I know the the framing device is bad, but they literally just put on like a film grain filter, <laughs> and it looks like shit. Um. I thought that was really funny. I didn't get why Raoul wanted the music box, but I said that already. Okay. One of the things that has me the most confused about the framing device, though, one more time, is the guy, the auctioneer is like, and all of you might remember that little incident with the opera ghost, like acting, but acting like it, like the way I just said it was like more dramatic than he said it. Like he's very like, oh, yes, like the opera ghost incident of whatever this this, is. And I'm like, wait, wait. But isn't the opera all fucked up and shut down because of the fire that was caused by the Phantom? Or are we to assume that the entire establishment withstood the flames that were so engulfing that they were puncturing the windows at the end (laughs) that like that I was just so confused. I'm like, okay, wait, so is it not that big of a deal or was it that big of a deal? Because he's like the little incident of the opera Ghost, where like a multiple people were killed on stage, you know? That, I just found that to be very confusing. The sound mixing of the movie in general is total shit. Like I was watching it on uh, on the TV and the songs were at like a nine out of 10 and the dialogue was at like a three out of 10 volume wise. And so I was like constantly toggling back and forth. That was not the best movie watching experience. I know that... In Lindsay Ellis' video, she talks about this, but the fact that the first shot of the Phantom is that stupid above shot is so horrible. It's so horrible. It's like the weirdest shot of him. It's like mostly his slicked back wig. I'm like, why is this what they chose? I also wrote down that the long note at the end of Music of the Night is like the most like cross faded, like pitch corrected, like (laughs) shit I've ever heard. But it was pretty funny. Um, and how ironic, he,
1: how ironic is it that he is supposed to be
0: her vocal teacher? Right. <laughs> also, you never even see him teaching her shit. Like, where's the education? Like, show me when it's the lessons just like, happen.
1: It's it's in theory, it's like before the show starts.
0: Okay, when he gets mad, when she pulls off the mask and he gets mad, first of all, that whole scene is wild. He's really violent, which like I buy, but... It was just jarring. And also, his disfigurement, like, isn't even that bad. And he's like, repulsive carcass. And it's like, you're not a repulsive carcass. Come on. I slow get, it down. It's,
1: this is a Hollywood thing. They just couldn't yeah. make him that ugly. That's literally yeah. all it is.
0: So that was funny to me. Um, also, when he's like, now you cannot ever be free. He says it as if that was contingent upon her ripping off his mask, but like was he planning on release? Like, what was his plan? Like, did her removing the mask change the plan? That I have questions about. That line was confusing I, it, to me. Clearly
1: it did. I, I think I think that the Phantom didn't necessarily I think he I think he went into it with less <laughs> nefarious <laughs>
0: <laughs> plans. intentions.
1: Yeah, yeah. Than than what it became. Like I think he kind of was trying to just be like, hey, like, let's meet up. Like <laughs>
0: <laughs> But then why would her ripping off the mask make him do that?
1: Um when they're when they're alone?
0: Yeah. Like no because, one else is even there.
1: He's because he's not trying to like bear his true self
0: to her. <laughs> like he's trying to be daddy. He's not trying to be vulnerable.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, he just wanted to, like, have a date, but guess not.
0: Nope. Not (laughs) not now. Not now. It's also, like, so easy to, like, humanize these characters so much. Like, that's where so much of, like, the cringe, like, fanfic comes from. But there is so much funny shit that happens that's so underexplained that you, like, can't help but, like, make up reasons for it when you're watching it. So, okay. I... Okay, I know that there's a question later in the episode. Least favorite song. I'm just going to go ahead and give my answer now because Prima Donna Prima is so Donna. fucking annoying. That's what I said too. It's so irrelevant to the plot and they put it, it's in a place that it's, it just slows you down so much. It drives me crazy. Um, and it's also like the old man song, like the classic yeah. old man song. Not a fan, even though I love Minnie Driver and she does a good job. It's like, why do we even have this? Before all I ask of you, I thought that at that point, the Phantom and Christine would have had more interactions, but it seems like there still was only that one interaction. And so I was kind of like surprised that everything seemed so intense between them Like, are we supposed to infer that they said that they slept together? Like, there's all this weird shit that's very much like it's like up. It's like in the eye of the beholder, like it's up to the audience, like what exactly happened between them. But like the way that she's so afraid of him, even though he didn't really do anything wrong to her. There's just like a really weird subtextual line to me about like sexual non-consent and there's just something weird in all of it. And it's like, does being in a trance count as consenting? I don't think so, but it just that I think when I was a kid, especially really took up a lot of like gigabytes in my brain space a little bit. Um, just because it was so like murky, when they're riding away on the boat, it was another example of the singing and the mouth movements not matching up. There was a whole ass line of music that she doesn't lip sync, and she just turns around and looks at him. And I'm like, okay, well maybe that was intentional. I don't know, but I found. Well, yeah, all no, of those there's a lot sweeter. of that.
1: There's a lot of that because um, I think that can be inferred as in his head. Because there are other moments where it's the same way. It's always all I ask of you. And it's like playing in his head nonstop because he's so jealous.
0: I Um, see. Okay. And
1: like the point where, I mean, that's the reason that his mask. Well, that's the end of it. But, you know, when they're up on the bridge during Point of No Return and he like goes off script and starts singing all I ask of you. That's what happens. That part and then, slaps
0: TBH. Yeah.
1: And that's when she, like, unmasks him, which is crazy. Um, yes.
0: She's like, fuck you.
1: Yeah. Um, that section also confounds me because the intentions of it are pretty confusing. They don't actually lay out what their plan actually is to do. Like, oh, so are you going to snipe him down on stage? Is that That what you're saying?
0: That's what I thought they were trying to do.
1: But it doesn't seem that that is actually their plan. It seems like their plan was more... It seems like they only thought to lure him to the stage and they didn't actually think (laughs) of what they were going to do once he was there. Yeah, Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Because like the look on Raoul's face is just like um there he is <laughs> <laughs> and then he's sad because he like thinks for a moment that yeah. Christine is like actually like into it and she's like but it's really hard to tell is she into it or is she using him like is she is she egging him yeah. on so he'll so he will
0: stay right like, well and that's, that's the whole thing, too, that I find to be super weird about that sequence is that it's, like, kind of the only time in the entire show slash movie that you see her, like, really confident or, like, strongly committing to something is yeah. in that part. And you're, like, oh, hell yeah. And then it, like, all falls away. And you're, like, okay, yeah. well, that was cool while we had it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it derails, um... Pretty fast. Also, let's just say the scenes added. So it's <laughs> Raul falling into a well. <laughs> it's the sword fighting, mm-hmm. um, and it's the backstory of the Phantom.
0: The backstory like, of the Phantom is like so aggressive for no reason.
1: I feel that I feel like the backstory of the Phantom is the only one that we really. Uh, Is the only, is the one that adds the most out of the added scenes, because at least um, it is really brutal, but we get it. Like, it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. I see how this person could be this way now. Like, okay. And it also gives you good background for um, Madame Jury as well. Um, And it makes you like her more.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: it makes you understand her stance on, like, why is she not scared? Why is she not concerned about this yeah, right, dude? Because right. she knows he's, like, a genius, but he's, like, becoming harmful. <laughs> so that's <laughs> the problem. Toxic genius. Yeah. <laughs> he's an architect and a painter. A genius, monsieur. And then as far as, like, dated or problematic... I think we kind of already said it. Emmy Rossum is really young in this movie. Um, nobody seemed to have a problem with it in the press tours. Everyone's just yeah. like, "Lucky!" everyone's like, lucky you, Emmy Rossum. And she's like, yeah, lucky me. Like, she's happy yeah. about it. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting. Um, but as far as like problematic, maybe, um... Things being communicated to young people watching the Phantom of the Opera, it's <laughs> like I I didn't comprehend like how dumb Christine is <laughs> until yeah. later in life, and also how like predatory this show is. Um, and ev- all the the lessons being learned here are really gray. Like it doesn't really say what does it say like what is it telling us
0: I, I don't really know there is no takeaway it's I kind of love that it's like spectacle for the sake of spectacle and like drama for the sake of drama like that's why I and think it, I like, still enjoy it,
1: it. it it's like tragedy it's like yeah um, like soap opera like it's very yeah. um, it's just drama which is fun and like Honestly, yeah, who cares if you're if you like have your own mind, like if you aren't absorbing (laughs) things, I think it's fine and it's just fun and and dramatic. But when you're watching (laughs) watching or identifying with Emmy Rossum, which I definitely like did, like I saw myself in her. Um, because mm-hmm. we basically just look similar. I think that was a part of it, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, when you're like, oh, I have brown hair, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like,
0: look at your life, look at your choices. Uh, yes. I, I don't, I don't know, but think, she's, go ahead. I think, so one of the things that came up in the episode of Wholehearted that I did about Fan of the Opera is that part of what is so appealing about it is that, like, like, as Audrey was saying, as someone, like, relating to Christine, if you're, like, a young girl or, like, a young gay watching this movie, you are, like, I want to be the center of attention. Like, I want to be fought over. Like, I want to be swept away to a weird underground layer. and, like. It's like, l- it's like Bella you know? Swan. Literally, Audrey, I almost said earlier that this is, like, the perfect foreshadowing to, like, Team Edwards, Team Jacob type shit. Like, the love yeah. triangle, the dark aspect of it, like. I feel like if you loved Twilight, you would also love Phantom of the Opera and vice versa because there is a very similar thing to it.
1: Yeah, extremely. And also sort of Beauty and the Beast as well. Yes,
0: except you don't like the other guy in Beauty and the Beast.
1: No, you don't. There's no chance of it. But yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> Are Jacob, Gaston and Raúl, or all chads?
1: <laughs> They're all connected. <laughs>
0: They kind of are all connected. Um,
1: But one thing I can say about another nice thing to say about Patrick Wilson is that I do feel that he brings um, like real humility to the character that Mm -hmm. isn't necessarily there in the stage version. Like, totally. You don't, you're not like in love with Raul as a character, like in the stage show. I feel like he's just all right and you know that he's wealthy and like he's at least not like living in a (laughs) basement i don't know
0: (laughs) he's not like scary as fuck
1: yeah yeah so it's like fine but he also has a lot he's a lot more um like aggressive about about getting rid of the phantom but yeah in the movie version he's he wants to hear them out he wants to have a meeting with madame jury hear the background like what's what's up with this guy and he's like oh i get it he's like that's that's rough you know yeah. but and I get it Christine you don't want to do it but there's no other way like <laughs> this is the only way to do it and I I think I think that that adds a lot to the character yeah
0: they like sensitivity wash him for the movie for sure yeah which like can we would we expect any less from Patrick no. Wilson like definitely yes. not yeah <laughs> I think that's really true, though, because he is a lot more of a dick in the stage show. And there are some dickish elements that have stayed. Like when he's like, oh, yes, you've been visited by the angel of music and now it's time for supper. Like shit yeah. like that. <laughs> or he'll like, be dismissive sometimes. But like for the most part, he really does like take her shit seriously. Except when they're like new original song added. and She like sings that whole little like thingy about being scared. And then he goes... Don't think that I don't care, yeah. but it's on you. Yeah, <laughs> like that is just funny. And it just was very. It was
1: very underwritten that part. Like if they could have yes. even added one more line for him, I think,
0: that and it would have helped. helped. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. So yeah, Audrey. We've ha- so okay, Audrey suggested these new categories for the musical episodes, and it's favorite song, least favorite song, favorite line to sing, and is it a good adaptation? Let's start with favorite song. We already said least favorite song. Um Audrey, what's yeah. your favorite song?
1: Overall, favorite song. My favorite song is all I ask of you. Sorry. <laughs> it is
0: <laughs> I also really love all i ask of you yeah it's so well because it's patrick wilson just going off yeah that's why i'm like yeah mm-hmm. when he does that tiny little vocal fry on anywhere you go <laughs> let me go To," so nice like you're like oh my god and they blend they blend really well it's almost like they're both actual fucking singers
1: yeah, it's it's great, and like it's they have so like weird. a live performance on like the Today Show in like two thousand whatever yeah. year it was two thousand two or four, yeah. and uh, it's great. Like it, yes. it they they sang it live. It was good, um, but yeah, that's my fave. Okay,
0: favorite song for me, it's gotta be Point of No Return. Probably yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love Point of No Return. There's some cool notes in it. It's like a musically interesting song, I think. Yeah, um, that's my
1: second place.
0: I also really like Music of the Night, but I don't really like the verses, but like the refrain is like a banger and a half. Okay, favorite line to sing? What's yours?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I li- As the movie was going on, I kept writing down more because I was like, ooh, which one is like the best? Yeah. But in the song that they added like I actually really like the melody of that uh-huh like are we gonna sing it or are we yeah go for it <laughs> when she's
0: like I think I know what line it's gonna be which which one do you think it is is it gonna be oh god if I agree
1: No, but like, yeah, it's the same. I really like that whole section, but it's the like, he kills without a thought. He murders all that's good. That part. I don't want to do, I won't sing that one. I'll sing, I'll sing a different one. Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Have you gorged yourself at last in your lust for blood? (laughs)
0: That is great. It's really good.
1: Also, um, it's in your soul where the true distortion lies. That is great. That's really good. That's really good. And then oh. finally, finally. The tears I might have shed for
0: your dark fate. I won't sing the last part, but you okay. know what that is. Okay, yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. That was a lot of lines, ma'am. Yeah. Okay. Mine... Are well, here's the thing. I love singing male show tunes because I have a low singing voice, and so there's a lot of material for me to pull from here. But I really like when (laughs) I like the line, let your soul take you where you long to be. (laughs) But it's it's Gerard, so he's like, he's like, (laughs) (laughs) um, I love that line. I love uh, when they really loudly go, Anywhere you go, let me go too. Love that. And then the little harmony part after that Love me, that's all I ask of you. And then the orchestra goes, Wah, 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 wah. wah." I really like when fa- when the Phantom very, very emo very emo sings All I Ask of You at the end. <laughs> yeah. Like, hit me with that shit any day of the week. I love it.
1: He's barely okay. singing it.
0: <laughs> is it a good adaptation? Absolutely not. But is it a good movie? I I personally think that this movie is beyond dismissal because it has contributed too much to my life that I cannot see past it.
1: I would almost swap, like my opinion, I would like swap what you're saying in a way because um, is it a good adaptation? If your goal is to watch something that represents the contents of the stage musical, then it's a good adaptation. But it's Mm -hmm. not a good film adaptation.
0: Like it's not a good
1: movie in terms. There's this loud ass saw out here. So sorry if you're hearing that. But um, it's, it's not a good film adaptation in terms of converting it to film language. But it is a. Good represent representation of what you would see if you went to the theater. Like this is what you would hear, you know, but way better. <laughs> it would be way yeah, better. Right. If Except you saw bad the singing. Theater. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it. And it's bad singing, but it isn't bad singing to like the is level of bad singing. Like there's been worse, worse singing. in Yeah, movie and musibles.
1: that's because they gave them the grace of singing in the studio and letting somebody edit and. edit their vocals versus Mr. Tom Hooper over here loves (laughs) to have everybody embarrass themselves on set after starving themselves to look gaunt for Les Mis and then (laughs) literally like trashing their voice and then having them look stupid. So I'm not a fan of that.
0: This was a sprawling episode and there's just so much to say that I didn't even say about the emotional connection to it for me, but I already have created a content piece that explains all that. So I'll link to that. But I fucking love Phantom of the Opera. I think it's such a ridiculous movie and it's bad, but in all the best ways for me personally.
1: Right. Uh, I have a lot of nostalgia for it. And I tried to remove those glasses for this reevaluation, remove the rose colored (laughs) glasses. And again, like um, Lindsay Ellis does have a video essay about this version of Phantom of the Opera that we kind of echoed throughout this episode so if you enjoy if you enjoyed this episode you'll definitely enjoy that video
0: yeah and i'll and, link to that as well yeah mhm okay so next week we will be doing a much less dark musical we have not decided what it is yet decide we have not yet decided what it is yet um but i'm sure that we're going to continue to have a good old time because at last we are doing musicals where we truly thrive. Um, Yeah. So thank you for going with us on this journey (laughs) and uh, we will be back with you soon. Bye.
1: You can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com sleepover cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at toopingpictures.com. if you want to watch our show as well as listen we're on youtube too search sleepover cinema or go to the link tree in our instagram bio we're on instagram and twitter at twoping pictures and would love to hear from you there we're also on tiktok at sleepover cinema and that's really
0: where the party is at And if you like the show, if it brings back evocative memories of childhood or tweendom or babysitting, share the episode with a few friends. Leave us an iTunes review telling us what movie you'd like to see us cover next and leave us a review if you like the show. And if you don't, don't. Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, produced, edited, and engineered by us, Hannah, and Audrey Leach. Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Rule Hoffman with theme music by Josh Perlman Hall. Special thanks to executive producers Michael D'Aloya and David Moss. We'll chat again soon.
1: Bye. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rock Star and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death Ready? of a Film Star. And